Hello, I'm Jameis. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Welcome to episode 24 of Your New Favorite Word. I believe it's Tessa's turn to kick things off for us, so let's turn the mic over to her and see what she has for us this week. Thanks, Jameis. It's good to be back. I wanted to start out today's episode by talking about an experience that I had this past week. was watching a virtual storytelling conference, and it's a great experience, fabulous uh, things I'm learning about storytelling. But one of the presenters talked about the idea of remembering as an element of storytelling. But she talked about how remember is the opposite of dismember. It was kind of a beautiful, very thought-provoking idea. But as we talked about it and did a little digging, we found out that this is not actually true. (laughs) So she was playing a little fast and loose with etymology there. But we discovered that remember comes from re, meaning again in Latin, and the Latin word memorari, to be mindful of. And this comes from a Proto-Indo-European reconstructed root that means to remember. And some other words that come from that, memorize, commemorate, memoir, and mourn. I thought that was Oh, that is interesting. Interesting, yeah. So the idea of memorializing someone through grief, that's pretty beautiful. Yeah. The word dismember, on the other hand, comes also from Latin, de, meaning to take away, and membrum, a limb or body part. So just like what it sounds like. They don't know exactly which Proto-Indo-European root it comes from, but probably from one that means flesh or meat. So these words are not actually related etymologically. However, this false etymology could be seen instead as a coining of a new word, a new opposite to dismember, to remember. So I really can respect that. I I think sometimes we get a little bit perfectionistic about seeking out our sources, and I think it's important to be intellectually honest. So as long as we're not saying these words are etymologically related, it's okay to say, I like this idea of remembering as opposed to dismembering. Yeah, it's totally fair to say there's this superficial, perhaps, connection, but it introduces a new perspective. Absolutely. And it's beautiful in that sense. So in terms of storytelling, this is beautiful because you think about events that have happened in the past, so personal story in particular, and we're going to put them back together and give them life again, bring them back to life in the a form of a story. So mm-hmm. I thought that was beautiful. So I just wanted to share that quickly. Um, and then I wanted to move on to my new favorite word for this week. Okay. So the word is gamut. G-A-M-U-T. I'm sure you've heard that word. Um, it's a complete range or extent. So for example, a face that expressed a gamut of emotions from rage to peaceful contentment. So kind of a, a scale, the entire scope of something. The Oxford English Dictionary talks about some phrases, the whole gamut, meaning the full range or scope of something, to run the gamut, meaning to experience, display, or perform the complete range of something. But this is not the original meaning of gamut. Really? Yes. 
The earlier meanings come from the field of music. Really? Yes. This is so fascinating to me. I remember learning some of these things in a music history course, but I had not connected them with the word itself, gamut. So this was some new information for me. So it used to mean the entire series of recognized notes or the full range of notes which a voice or instrument can produce or which are used in a particular piece. So the collection of notes in a piece or that can be produced by a specific musical instrument or a voice. Before that, it meant the scale of notes extending over two octaves and a sixth formed by the seven overlapping hexachords in the system ascribed to Guido d'Arezzo and containing all the notes generally recognized in medieval music. So this was a term that arose from medieval times, the music system that d'Arezzo created, and it comes from a very specific source. So there's a Latin hymn that was written and sung to St. John the Baptist on his special day. And the first syllables of each line of this hymn are sung on ascending notes of the six-note scale that they had at the time. And I will put a link to that Latin hymn in the show notes so that you can see where these come from. But... When we think about today's do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, right? We were often familiar with that. That originally came from these syllables. And the first syllable was not do originally. It was ut, however you pronounce that in Latin, Latin, excuse me, U-T. And it was the first word of the hymn that means that. If you look up the link to this and look at the words. So the syllables that they were using were ut, re, mi, fa, sol, and la. They just had six tones in their scale. So the contraction of the word gamma, meaning a low G, and ut, this original tone of the scale, is first tone. So gamma plus ut became gamut. Interesting. It was the lowest note in their scale. (laughs) That's really fascinating. Yes. And so over time, the system of how music was presented and taught changed. And they didn't think that ut was a very singable syllable. All the others are open vowels. Re, mi, fa, sol, la. Very singable. Ut, on the other hand, was not. And so... There was a musical log, that's what it, he's called in one source, Giovanni Battista Doni. And he decided to use the first syllable of his surname, Do, <laughs> to stand for that original note, the, the first note of the scale. Then over time, as the scale changed and we had an octave, so we had seven distinct notes and then the, the octave note above, They needed another term. And so he decided that that hymn was called to John the Baptist. And so the initials Sancte Ioannis, S-I, became C. And in many countries, that is the term for the penultimate tone in the scale. But 
in English-speaking countries, C was changed to T by a certain woman named Sarah Glover in the 19th century so that every syllable might begin with a different letter so that they could abbreviate it with just the initial letter. Interesting. Yeah. So that's where we get the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do today. And this is uh, an idea of using syllables to represent tones is something that's been around since ancient India and times when they were creating these things. And they had a system of assigning syllables to steps on their scale, which is different than Western musical scale. But it's called solmization, being formed from sol, mi. Solmization. Okay. <laughs> and then a subset of that um, is solfege, which is the specific list of syllables that we're familiar with. Um, and that comes from solfa. And it's a type of solmization. So this was really interesting to me that the meaning of gamut originally was very specifically referring to a musical concept, but has become more general meaning any kind of scale, not just a musical scale, but any kind of scope or run the gamut from one thing to another in any field, right? And we've lost that musical meaning in modern English. So that just really was interesting to me as someone who studied music. Yeah, just that it went from referring to a single note to describing a range of notes to mm-hmm. describing a range of anything. That's really fascinating. Yeah, but especially because then we lost that original the meaning original altogether. Meaning. And yeah. I, I'm sure there are some people that recognize that original meaning, but most people wouldn't, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. That's really fascinating, Tessa. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. And how about you, Jameis? What's your favorite word? So my favorite this week is churlish. <laughs> C-H-U-R-L-I-S-H. Which is hilarious to say and woefully underutilized. (laughs) According to the American Heritage Dictionary, it means having a bad disposition or surly. But of course, I wanted to go deeper than that. Mm -hmm. So from the word itself, it's clear that it derives from churl, a rather archaic sounding word that nowadays means a rude or surly person. But it didn't always have this negative connotation. Really? It comes to us from the Old English word keoral which simply meant peasant. (laughs) In the social structure of the day, it denoted the lowest class of freemen, Mm -hmm. who rated higher than a slave, but lower than a thane, which Mm -hmm. was itself a rank just below nobility. Interesting. So, common man. Uh, But its sense evolution is not surprising. It had connotations of low birth and rude manners since about the 1300s, And it's pretty common for similar words to take on these kinds of negative connotations. Mm -hmm. One word with a similar sense evolution is villain. Oh, interesting. Which derives from a French word meaning peasant or farmer and comes ultimately from the Latin word villa, which is the same root as our word village. I've never thought of that connection, but it makes total sense. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Uh, Another such word is boor, B-O-O-R, which in the 14th century referred simply to a farmer or countryman, and derived in part from the old French word bovier, meaning (laughs) herdsman from the Latin root bovis. Yeah, bovine, yeah. Exactly. And it was also influenced by an old English word gabour, which meant farmer or peasant. Hmm. And the similarity of the two words, bovier and gabour, in both sense and sound, eventually merged them into a single word, boar. 
And whether it's churl or villain or boor, the hipsters of every generation will, of course, delight in poo-pooing the common and familiar, resulting in first negative connotations and eventually an entire shift in meaning. And actually, it's really curious to see this meaning shift happening in real time with the rise of the pejorative boomer in recent years. Mm. Like just in the last five years or so, it seems like it's taken on a very negative connotation. So it, but it doesn't mean similar. lowly peasant like these other words. It but. doesn't, you're right. <laughs> but what I find especially delightful about churl in particular is that in other languages, the shared root of that word came to mean not a rude or surly person or even a common man, but a king. Ooh. What a spectacular reversal of the typical sense evolution. <laughs> and we owe it all to one very uncommon man. It turns out that churl derives from a Germanic root, Carl with a K, mm-hmm. which meant a bondsman or commoner, and which gave rise to the common name Carl. Mm-hmm. This name was made famous in the 8th and 9th centuries by a particularly influential Frankish king of that name, who later became known by the Latini- Latinized Carolus, and eventually Charles in mm. French, or Charles in English. This Charles later united most of Western Europe and became known as Charles the Great, or Charlemagne. Yeah, or I was wondering later, if you were going there. <laughs> Charlemagne, that's right. So, as a result of his enormous influence in Europe, many European languages use some variation of Latin Karolus as one of their words for king, including such languages as Polish, Czech, Hungarian, Lithuanian, Macedonian, Romanian, Russian in which the primary word for king is actually tsar, but apparently this other um, a related word to karolus is also used. And there's quite a few other words, uh, other languages as well. And this parale- parallels, speaking of tsar, this parallels the evolution of Caesar, hmm. also a name which became synonymous with king or emperor. Mm-hmm. you got Kaiser in German and mm-hmm. tsar in, in Slavic languages. So anyway, that's my favorite word this week, churl, which comes from a root that in some languages became king, and in others, like English, came to mean rude or surly. (laughs) It's quite the divergent evolution there. Let's ponder on that connection for a while. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that fascinating? So that's what I got. Well, thank you so much. That's really fascinating, too. And thank you, listeners, for learning along with us. Please feel free to spread the word about our podcast with other lovers of words and language. As always, we would love to hear from you. What's your new favorite word?